Notes, we're in Matthew chapter 7. Does anybody need notes tonight? Anybody need notes? Okay, let's see what we have available out there. Yeah, try to get some notes in here. Matthew chapter 7 as we get started. Let me give you a preview tonight of a series that we'll be looking at uh, throughout the summer and going all the way into the fall. Just lift your hand up and they'll get you a bulletin. It has notes in it. Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to start tonight in verse number 13. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus is talking, he says in verse 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now, you can train up a child, male or female, in the way he or she should go, and you can bring them to the gate of salvation. But here's what Jesus says, and this is what we have to pay close attention to, and really, this series that we're going to be uh, getting into talks about is every young person has to decide for himself or herself whether or not they will follow Jesus Christ. And I have known godly parents who have brought their children to the straight gate, um, to the narrow way, and said, this is the way, you need to walk in it, and the child wouldn't go in. And it's, it's such a sad thing um, when you train a child to do that and, and they won't follow Christ. And so tonight we're going to uh, begin with this title, Attention, This Needs Your Attending. And we're going to deal with seven things that are a preview of some of the pitfalls that we're going to cover throughout the summer that have to do uh, with young people. And uh, as I said this morning, if you are a young person right now, if you have a young person in your house, if you have grandkids who are teens, um, if you're ever going to have teenagers, or if you're, uh, you don't have children, or maybe your kids are all grown and your great-grandparents, whatever the situation will be, I think there's going to be some scriptural ap application that could be a blessing to you and your life and your family. And so let's pray and we'll get into the lesson tonight. Father, we thank you once again for your word and we thank you for the narrow way Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and on this Sunday night I pray that if there would be anyone here tonight who has never believed in the way the truth and the life that they would believe in that this night and I pray that you bless in our time we ask in Jesus name amen let's start with a simple one that's pretty obvious number one attending to prayer Attending to prayer. Um, if you ask most people who have children or they have teenagers in their home, do you pray for your kids on a regular basis? Almost all of them will tell you, yes, I do. But they may not be praying necessarily the way they ought to pray for their children. And so let's look over at James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and we'll look at several scriptures tonight as we go through the lesson. 
And I, I can tell you if, you, if you don't know me, I'm Pastor Tony, and my wife and I, um, we have three kids. They're 15, 13, and 11. We are not experts at child rearing. Um, our kids sin just as much as anybody else's. Um, and so I'm not holding my family up as the pattern tonight, although my kids should try to follow God, and, and I want them to, and we do everything we can to make it that way. I want the pattern and the authority to come from God and His Word tonight. And that's how it should be in our lives. We should seek that authority from God's Word. James chapter 5 and verse number 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And when we pray for those around us, even our own children, um, this verse has such an impact. When we're praying for the healing of someone else, uh, praying for someone else to be spiritually healed, before spiritual healing can take place, if you notice in that verse, what has to take place? Confession. Confession has to take place. And, and so sometimes I, I know that if you have a child who's ever deceived you, or a child who maybe is lying, or a child who's given you trouble with attitude or arrogance or pride or whatever it would be, that you're praying for your child in a certain way. And I, I want to give you four uh, just simple things about the way to pray for your teenager, the way to pray for your children. First one is pray regularly. Pray regularly. When my kids ride to school um, with my wife, she's very good about this. I fall short. I'm sometimes in the morning in a daze, I guess. Um, but on the way to school, they pray for their school day. And they pray for uh, God's working in their life that day. And uh, that's, that's a good habit to be in, um, to, to pray with your kids at night. And uh, sometimes we let that one slip too. As, as they start to get a little older, we don't put as much emphasis on praying with them. But we have to pray regularly with them and with each other as a couple. Next one is this. Pray offensively. Pray offensively. Okay? When you are playing a sport, um, you can either focus on offense or you can focus on defense. And in your prayer life for your kids, you have to focus on both. You have to pray as the offense um, for their future peers and their future wife, and their future husband, and their future choices. And you have to be offensive about how you pray for your kids. And there ought to be a time, uh, I know every year on, on my kid's birthday, um, that day I really, really spend some time in prayer, praying for their future mate. And uh, I know they would be embarrassed that I'm talking about it, so I'm going to move off it quickly. Um, because they're getting older where they start to actually, that thought actually crosses their mind. There were years where it never crossed their mind once. So um, you pray about their future, and you have to do it on offense. Now, we also have to pray defensively. There are going to be times where you have to pray for friend removal. Um, you may have somebody who's influencing your child, and you have to pray defensively that God will expose something in that child's life where you can say, hey, do you understand now why we shouldn't be around him or her? 
or you, sometimes you just have a hunch. You can't put your finger on it, but it seems like that person's not influencing your child to the glory of God. And so you have to pray in guarding your child. Um, how many of you already know this? You don't have to raise your hand. As your kids get older, they will have a, a conversation with you about why that's a good friend, right? Why that person is a good friend in their life. And you may be saying, wait just a second. I just, I, I just have, a, I have a feeling. They're like, mom and dad, this isn't about a feeling. This person's a good person. And look at their parents. And, and I just don't. And so you have to pray that God will show you defensively how to go through that situation. Another situation that requires this type of prayer is, well, sometimes I pray this, God, if one of my children is deceiving us as parents, will you please allow them to get caught sooner rather than later? Because, you know, the longer deceit goes in your life, the more it takes hold. If you could catch your 10-year-old in deceitfulness, you ought to cheer for that. Now, don't cheer in front of them. But when you're in your prayer life that night, cheer to God and thank Him. God, thank you for letting me catch her or him in a lie. Thank you for letting me find out that they deceived me. Because, see, deceit at 10 that's not caught becomes sneaking out at night when they're 16. And it's sneaking here and sneaking there and sneaking everywhere. And so we need to pray defensively. We also need to pray intensely. In the chapter before we just read in Matthew 6, Jesus talks about fasting. There aren't many people left in Christianity who fast for their children, who get up early to pray for their children. And uh, we have to pray intensely, not haphazardly. Um, this isn't just sending a well wish to God for your kids. We have to get pretty intense about this. Do you know your children are the greatest gift, aside from salvation, that God has ever given you? I mean, other than your husband or wife and your salvation, your children are a gift from God. They're a heritage of the Lord. And we really need to attend to prayer. And that's this kind of the getting that one in before anything else. Because a lot of times what we do is we say, okay, give me the practical list of how to raise my teenager and keep them out of trouble and get the right boundaries and keep them out of the traps. The number one thing is get with God. You know, that's the way it is in so many things in our lives. We, we buy the self-help book or we buy the book on how to do this and how to make this church this and how to do this. And sometimes we need to get back to God first. And so prayer is a place to start. Next one is this. Attending to boundaries. Attending to boundaries. Look at Proverbs chapter 24. And we're going to spend a few minutes in Proverbs with these next several. And so get a place over in Proverbs and just kind of hang out in that general region. Proverbs chapter 24 interesting little parable or story that's told in this proverb in Proverbs 24 verse number 30 I went by the field of the slothful that's the lazy person 
and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. So the person who's writing the proverb, probably Solomon, um, says, hey, I got some instruction from walking beside the field of the lazy person. The lazy person, what he said is, you know what? I'll fix the wall tomorrow. I'll pull the weed when they get a little bit bigger. You know, I'll take care of that when it just gets a little bit bigger. And, and if you know this about raising kids, if you wait till it gets bigger, it gets bigger. Right? The, the yell at mom or dad in the middle of Walmart was cute when they were two. But when they're 12, it's not cute anymore. Right? Mom, you said you'd buy me an iPod. I want my iPod right now. You ever heard that in the middle of Walmart? About the video game or the milk or the ice cream or the Walmart or whatever. Um, what happened is somebody got lazy in their parenting. And they became slothful in keeping that garden. And we have to be intent on attending to boundaries. Don't let the landmarks move. Um, don't let the garden get out of control because it will. And so attending to boundaries. Here's what we say in your notes. If you don't nail down your convictions ahead of time, your teen and his or her peer group will establish their own. If you do not nail down what you believe as parents for your children ahead of time, then they will establish their own. And uh, you have to agree as parents. Um, if you're uh, mom and dad, both in the situation, or maybe you're a single parent, you have to get in agreement with God and His Word, get good principles from God's Word that you can ground and found your lives on. Um, they're, they're, this is an interesting survey, and it blew my mind. Um, they did an informal survey at a, at a large church that had a, a huge sixth grade department. And this was a recent survey. Over 50% of the sixth graders at the church, this was a church, an evangelical church, over 50% of them admitted to viewing R-rated movies in the last three months. And almost all of the ones who had viewed one um, a good portion of them had viewed the R-rated movie with their parents, right? Now, obviously, people aren't stunned out there. I was stunned when I read this. Like, what is going on? If, if this is a Christian church, what are their parents thinking if they were the ones who showed that to them? But here's what happens. We get lazy, and we think, oh, it's not going to hurt. It's not going to bother. And by the way, the R rating, I'm not talking about a certain rating. The way the world rates things, it, it's meaningless to God's people. We should be rating things based on, does it glorify God or does it not? Is it expedient to my life as a Christian or is it not? Because I have seen PG movies that I would never want my child to see. 
right? And I, I don't know how we got so quiet all of a sudden in this room. We may have hit a nerve, and we may just spend the entire time right now talking about this. Listen to me. There have to be some convictions that you make in your home. You can't just say, well, when they're old enough, we'll decide. Because if you wait till they're old enough to decide, it's already been decided by them and their peers and whatever's popular on Facebook. And if it hasn't already been decided what music is allowed and isn't allowed in that house, it will be decided by them and their peers. And I'm touching on, I guess, some sticky ground here with you. But we have to get to a place where we believe something to the core. Um, We live in a society that is Christian in name only. There's a lot of people who go to churches who are Christian in name only. And I know I'm speaking to, to I guess, what you'd call the choir tonight. It's the Sunday night crowd, core of the church, right? But it got way too quiet with the core of the church on the stat that I thought would blow people away. I thought there would be audible moans and groans. Now, I could redo it. We could do it again just to get past this. And you'd all, oh, my goodness, can't believe that. Um, but I'm not going to do that. That would be plain to the crowd. So you're not going to do that. But listen to me, there's stats like that all over the place of what sixth graders have been exposed to, of what 10-year-olds have been exposed to, of what 8-year-olds have been exposed to at their friend's house, at somebody in the neighborhood's house. And so you have to know as parents ahead of time what the boundaries are going to be. And I'm going to talk in just a little while about um, a good plan for, for helping with that. Third one is this, attending to the inside. Proverbs 23. We just finished a series that dealt with this verse and with the heart. Proverbs 23, 26. My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. If you want anything from your kids, you want their heart. You want the inside. You want to know who they really are. You don't want them to trick you. You don't want them to be able to go around you with information. And we think that we can do it with God. I was reading the other day on the Word of God, and here's, here's what it said. He that trusteth his own heart is a fool. He that trusteth his own heart is a fool. And that's why it was so important in the Proverbs to say, my son, give me thine heart. Attend to the inside. It's difficult to swallow. Say this in your notes. But you can live in the same house with your child and be clueless about what's really going on with his life. I've been in ministry for about 18 years, not a huge long time. But I can't tell you how many parents already I've, I've had to talk to who've come into my office and say, hey, we never saw it coming And all of a sudden, we found out he's been doing marijuana for two years. We never saw it coming. And then one day, my wife was cleaning the dresser, and all of a sudden, there was all this stuff in there. And, Pastor, what happened? We don't even know who this kid is. And he's 16 or 15 or 17. And I'm telling you, because of deceitful hearts, he may be your kid, your daughter or your son, because you don't know what's going on on the inside. 
And that's why we spent so much time in the last series dealing with adding by subtracting and dealing with those core heart sins, those parasites that take over. And so attending to the inside. Fourth one is this, attending to training. Attending to training. Proverbs 22, 6, I'm sure that everybody's heard it before. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he, shall not, he will not depart from it. Um, there, we, it has to be attending to training. Now, I'm going to say something, and you're going to think I'm being mean, but I'm being real with you. Next thing in your notes, let's look what it says. If you don't have your goals on paper, you don't have goals. Now, if I sat down with every parent in this room tonight across a table or a desk, and I said, what are some of the goals you have for your kids? I am sure that the ones you come up with would be good. They would be positive. None of them would be, I'd like to see that kid, you know, get hit by a train. Okay, now there are some days like that as parents, but hopefully that wouldn't be the, like the permanent goal. Um, <laughs> if you don't have that goal down on paper, it's not a real goal. If you had to come up with it in a meeting, it's not a real goal. It's kind of like when you, you're at a prayer meeting and you've been asking for requests for like 20 minutes and somebody all of a sudden says, oh yeah, I forgot about my Aunt Betsy. Pray for my Aunt Betsy. And you're like, if that was really a pressing need, it you would have come up with it at the beginning, right? You're kind of thinking that. So I'm being mean to everybody tonight um, in the, the way we do this. But get it on paper. You know the best time to get your goals on paper for your kids is before they're born. The best time. But if that's already passed, then do it now. You say, but he's 14. Do it now. Um, because if you don't know what you believe that you want for that child, you won't know the boundaries to create to protect that child. And so training has to come from a well-thought-out process. Next one is this. Effective training involves excessive repetition. Excessive repetition. Excessive repetition. Excessive repetition. Have you ever felt like you're telling your kid the same thing every day, repeatedly during the same day? Right? You know, you know what parenthood is? It's really taking the same truths and repackaging them again and again and again. You know what? That's what pastoring is too. Um, I, I, I don't know if I should even tell you this secret. Pastors really preach the same sermons just about every year. They just change the scripture passages and the titles. Right? But we basically come in and preach the same thing week after week after week. And I honestly believe I could come in next Sunday, preach the exact sermon I preached this Sunday, and most people in the crowd would have no idea. Right? Like, wow. Some of that, man, that sounds really vaguely familiar. I don't know if I heard that on news program or something. Maybe by the fourth, fifth week, they'd figure it out. Can I tell you something? If you told your kids something once, they don't have it figured out. Right? Now, you guys already know this if you have kids around. If you told them five times, they probably still don't have it figured out. 
You're going to have to tell them again and again and again. Next one is this. Training involves a high degree of accountability. Training involves a high degree of accountability. Okay? You cannot expect what you do not inspect. You can't expect what you don't inspect. And so if you expect your kid to clean the restroom, you're going to have to inspect to see whether they did it correctly or not. And then you're going to have to do it again, and you're going to have to do it again, and you're going to do it again. And here's where most parents fall down on the job. We get lazy in keeping our accountability structure for our kids. We start off with great plans, high hopes. We're praying, we're focused. And then all of a sudden the kid's 12, right? It's like last week we did his baby dedication. How is he 12? And then he goes in the youth department and the next week he's graduating from high school. You're like, what happened? Where did my chance to create accountability go? It's gone. So we have to be very focused. We have to attend to training. Another one is this. Attending to church community. Look over at Titus chapter 2. I don't, <coughs> don't have time tonight, but I could show you yeah, Deuteronomy where you will be accountable to God for how you raise your kids. If you're a dad, you specifically will be accountable for how you raise your kids because God gave that job to fathers in Deuteronomy chapter 6. But when we get over into Titus, here's what we find out, and this, this is kind of a neat thing, is God gave families help. God gave families help. Now, please do not misunderstand when I read this passage I am not saying that it takes a village to raise a child. It takes parents to raise a child. But the church is there as a gift to the home to help with your children. Titus chapter 2, verse number 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, and charity and patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior is become with holiness, not false accusers, not given much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Now, this isn't just the, the role of the home to teach children how to live correctly. It's the role of the local church to do that. We are here to help parents understand the truths of God's Word to implement them in the home. I have to let you in on another secret, though. If you are relying on one hour of youth group a week, and one hour of life group a week to raise your kids, your kids are doomed. You have to live it at home. You have to do it at home. You have to study the Word at home. You have to be a part of this 
seven days a week. And, and yet, there's a church community to help. And uh, here's what I believe is so important uh, about a church community. Um, many of you ha have begun to establish friendships and connections in the local church. And that's what we want. That's why, why we have life groups. That's why we have intentional environments that help create them. And he here's what I know. Um, uh, just pick on somebody. Let's see. Uh, Brother James, right? Or Daniel. I'll pick on Daniel. Uh, he loves to be picked on. Pick on Daniel. He's my friend. I could go up to Daniel, and I, I know Daniel would be honest with me. He'd be forthright with me. And if I said, Daniel, if you ever see anything in one of my kids that's questionable, would you tell me? And you know what he'd say? You bet. You bet I would. You know what? That's what I'd want to hear. If you have good Christian friends, you ought to have that kind of relationship. You say, I don't need anybody else to parent my kids. No, but you're not infallible. And you don't have eternal eyes and ears. And you know what? If somebody walked up and said, hey, I don't know if you know this, but I saw that your kid was doing this on Facebook, and I'm just worried about him or her. It irritates me so much that parents get irritated by that. That's God's will that they told you that. That's God working in the local church that they told you that. They're not trying to take over your job as parents. They got enough problems, right? They don't want to have to raise your kids for you. But our friendships in the local church ought to be authentic enough where if somebody walks up to you and says, hey, I don't know if you noticed or not, and I love you, but I saw this happen the other day, and I was concerned. You know, you ought to value that type of relationship. That's the type of relationship you want, and the people that you should want to be around. And we say it this way in your notes. If people that you trust see something questionable in your child, you should desire to be the first to know about it. I know I've just opened the door for 17 people to come and tell me how bad my kids are this week. But it's okay. I've been down that road before. Um, and that, and it, seriously, it is okay. They ought to be accountable. Um, pastors, yes, in 1 Timothy 3, they should bring their household up in the glory of God. But guess what? So should every family. So should every family in the body of Christ. And we ought to look out for each other. You ought to look out for that brother in the church just as much as you look out for your own brother. You ought to look out for that sister in the church who's struggling, who's hurting. And you notice, boy, she hasn't been the same for the last two weeks. You know what? God may have pricked your heart about that so you can do something about it. So you can be instrumental in going and connecting and finding out how you can help that sister or that brother or their kids. So I'm not talking about usurping the authority of the home here. The home's authority has been instituted by God. And the church is not here to raise your kids for you. The pastor is not here to usurp the authority of the father or the husband. But God has given if you read this in Ephesians chapter 4, God has given pastors and teachers as gifts to the local body so that we can help with situations in your family. 
and you have a lot of people around you who can help with them. I just don't think it'd be a bad thing at all for you to have two or three friends who you said, you know what, I really I appreciate you. You've been a friend to me in Christ. And if you see something in my family that's opposed to God's plan, would you let me know? Enough said on that one. Number six, attending to direction because it determines destination. There's only one thing that determines destination. It is not motives. It's not plans. It's not wishes. There's only one thing, and it's direction. Right? You have to be going toward Walmart to get to Walmart. Now, in this valley, you could probably get to a Walmart by going any direction. You'd eventually get there. Might be in Ontario, but you'd get there. Um, but direction is what determines destination. And so in the home, we need God's direction. And there are four specific things that I talk about briefly. God's purpose, first of all, in identity. God's purpose in identity. Look at Psalm 139. This is a great psalm. I, I love to read this psalm. It talks about how huge God's plans are for you as a person. Psalm 139, verse number 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I am awake, I am still with thee. You know, you can't even fathom the number of times God's thought about you. You can't even begin to count the number of times God has thought about your identity. And yet, we live in a world where we have people with identity crises all the time. I just don't know who I am anymore. And I'm not sure who I am anymore. You hear these things all the time. God's got a plan for that for your home. Whether it's spiritual or emotional or physical, God has given you an identity. And as you raise your young people, that's something you need to instill in them. Next one is this, God's purpose and character. God's purpose and character. We don't even have time to go to all of the scriptures that would apply so wonderfully in this. But God wants your child to grow up with responsibility. 1 Corinthians 15 says, It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And if you don't teach your kids to be faithful, nobody else will. Game Boy won't teach your kids to be faithful. All right? It's just not his job. Um, Xbox won't teach him. iPad won't teach him. iPod won't teach him. TV won't teach him. He needs you to teach him. And so God's purpose and character. Next one is God's purpose in relationships. I have a theory, and I'm sure that this theory is well known to all of you because you probably have the same theory. The reason why America is in the state it's in is because our homes have disintegrated. 
See, it used to be that the home, the family, was the university that taught kids about relationships. But if there's no dad in the home, or there's no mom in the home, or if there's two moms in the home, which we see now, or two dads, or whatever's going on, then you don't have the dynamic that God designed. Something's missing as to how we model relationships. The university of the family is still the best place to learn relationships. My kids get embarrassed because every once in a while I'll snuggle up and in front of them and kiss my wife. And ooh, ooh. Right? Do you know how I learned to do that? Because my dad did it. Right? You know how you learn to do most of what you do? Because it was modeled in the university of the family, your grandparents or your great-grandparents or your parents. And we still have to model those things. Next one is this, God's purpose and mission. If you have a child who is a Christian, who has chosen the narrow way and the straight gate, they should be so excited and so passionate to find out What is it that God made me for? Now, I could understand how kids who have bought into humanism, who don't believe there's a God, who aren't sure where they came from, don't know why they're on the planet, right? Because if you don't know where you came from, how would you know why you're here? How would you think about knowing where you're going? But if you know where you came from and you know where you're going, then you ought to want to know why you're here. Yet I meet a lot of Christian kids who you ask them what they want to do. I don't really know. Whatever. Not sure what I want to do. And you know what parents have been given the kids for? To get them to the doorway of the passion that God has created them for that door to fly open and them to move to God's kingdom purpose. No matter what it is you do with your life, There is a missional purpose as to why God made you. And children ought to know that. They ought to grow up knowing God's got a plan for you. God made you special. God gifted you. God gave you talents for a reason. You have been made and designed by the Almighty God. He's got something big planned for you. We tell our kids sometimes, especially one of them, that God has some special things certainly designed for him. It's Dawson, by the way. Um, Because some of the things that he can do can be so annoying yet hilarious at the same time. They're saying, God has a special plan for your life. And uh, that's something we ought to impart to our kids as we go a long way. Seven is this, attending to endurance. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And we say in your notes, parenting is not a weekend project. Results take a lifetime. Results take a lifetime. Look at Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, and let's close with this verse. Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen. A lot of people say, Pastor... I want to raise my kids right, but my kid hurt me. My kid said something to me that they can never take back. It hurt me. It wounded me. 
And if you have kids, I promise they will hurt you because they're sinners. And I promise you will hurt them because you're a sinner. Look at Proverbs 22, verse number 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Do you know why your kid hurts you? Because foolishness is bound in his heart. Foolishness is bound in her heart. Don't give up on raising your kids. A lot of people have given up on their 12-year-old. Because they go, oh, can't reach him anymore. Can't reach her anymore. We don't have any hope for this kid. Don't give up. What if God gave up on you? What if God said, you know what? This one's not working out. Send him back. Send him back to the store. I redeemed him, but I want my money back. He could do that with every one of us, couldn't he? You know, what if your mom and dad gave up on you? What if your mentor gave up on you? What if your best friends gave up on you? And yet sometimes, without even knowing we're doing it, we give up on our kids. You know why? Because we get lazy. We don't care about their accountability anymore. Come in whatever time you want. Do whatever you want. I'll provide the food you live. That's no way to live. Not with an eternal purpose in view. And so these are some things that are just an introduction to our series. And I hope they've been helpful tonight. But I want you to connect with the series this summer because we're going to cover 14 specific traps that teenagers fall into. And we're going to get into the scripture in each one of those and talk about God's plan for us and how we can train the next generation as to where the traps are. I don't know if any of you have ever gone out on a trap line. And it's probably not that common anymore. But you know how they would teach the young kids not to step in the traps? Dad or mom or whoever it was would go before them and know exactly where the traps are. I'd say there's a trap right here. Now don't come any, don't get over here. There's a trap right here. You know what they do the next time they walked along the line? Stop. There's a trap right here here. Don't step in that trap. It's right here. You say, you just told them the day before. Yeah, but they're kids. And you tell them again and again and again. And guess what happens sometimes? The kids still stepped in a bear trap. And you can tell your kids again and again and train them and teach them. And some of your kids have already or will step in a spiritual bear trap. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't walk out front and say, listen, there's a trap right there. How do you know it's a trap, Dad? Because I stepped in it. How do you know it's a trap, Mom? Because it happened to me. Or God's Word says this, and we go back to the authority of the Scripture. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in a closing word. Great to see everybody out tonight. Sure do love all of you. Appreciate you. Let's all go home and eat some... What do you guys want? Water? What do you want? Yeah. Pop-Tarts. Okay, we're eating Pop-Tarts tonight. What flavor do you guys like? All right, sounds good to me. Let's do it. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the souls that are in this room. And Lord, it overwhelms me 
to think that you have thought of me so many times that I couldn't count. You care so deeply, and you have a plan 